0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. And you know, what I was saying earlier is, uh, with Matt and everything, I appreciate so much the teaching, the preaching that's happened, because six years ago, I came from a church that was very works-oriented, so it was a lot of performance-based stuff. So when I learned how to actually uh, understand that I could kind of relax with grace, and that grace could be very freeing for me, it was actually a really new thing for me. So when the Barefoots actually invited me to that Sunday school class, I had no idea what I was really getting into, and what I got into was the most wonderful thing in the whole world. So not that I'm knocking the church I went to before. I loved it too and learned a lot, but it was really free learning that grace, just all the implications of grace and what grace really meant for everybody and how to live it out. I learned some of the head concepts of grace, but I really understood what grace really meant until I actually started walking through it. And ironically, sometimes it's kind of tough. You kind of look at it and say, well, how do I do this? But the irony of ironies is you allow God to do it because we live in a world where, where God is sovereign and we trust and, and believe that he will come through for us. So anyways, thank you for allowing me to be here. This is our last one, but it's called Grace Through Conflict. So I went into a little bit what I do today, but actually I'm going to take you back in time when I was a tennis pro because that's where I really got the blue chip education on how to deal with conflict. So here I am. I'm walking into the pro shop. My life was hitting a yellow ball across the net into the court successfully and said, that's all I have to do. So I end up running a club in Lake Mary with 181 members, and now having to manage issues. You wouldn't believe what happens in the tennis business about issues. I'm like, this is tennis. So I thought I could just live my life as a gym rat and people would just leave me alone. So I go into the pro shop one day, and there's about eight team captains that are sitting outside on a table. And they're kind of looking at me like this. And you guys are much nicer this morning. I really appreciate that. But they're kind of giving me this look going, your job is on the line if you don't do something right now. So I go in the pro shop, and there's a member in there. And I actually said this in the beginning. He said, thank God this person's in the pro shop. He had a half of his Xanax. And I said, okay, if I take this half of Xanax, and I can relax and understand that no matter what I say or do, everything's going to be okay. I can actually avoid this conflict situation and I have to deal with it. So I took the half of Xanax, true story. I I kind of delayed and went into the bathroom for about 10 minutes for the Xanax to kick in. I'm like, once I get out there, everything will be fine. And that's what happened. So whatever they said to me and said, you're the worst tennis pro in the world. Um, I can't believe you're managing this place. We got all these issues. You don't want to deal with them. And I'm like, it's okay. Everything's just wonderful. And I feel so good right now. And I love you, by the way. So I'm walking in there, but God is now moving on my heart at this point. He's telling me something. He said, Steve, there's more than this. I have more for you. I love you, and I want to help you to deal with this, to manage this, what's going on. So I really hit uh, what I call an emotional rock bottom and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this. If I'm just going to walk around escaping and avoiding conflict, what am I going to accomplish? How am I going to grow as a believer? I was a believer, but I was using things to medicate myself to avoid something I thought was so scary. And you talk to athletes today and uh, interview them, and one of the biggest things that they say, the scariest things for them to deal with, is conflict. It's the hardest thing to deal with. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the four different types of way with which we communicate during conflict. It'll be kind of fun. And on the other side of that, I want to go into a little bit more of a deep dive and just talk about how spirituality can have such a positive influence on us. Because I want to kind of go into the word of God at the end. But I also want to find out what are the true reasons why we either avoid or over control or say no to everything, say there's no way out of this. Or are we incessantly trying to please people to kind of avoid um, uh, having people confront us about things. So. All right, so let's play a game. So I work at Full Sail, we're all about games, and always trying to find a way to integrate psychology with games. Would you all play a game with me real quick? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to find one person, okay? And I want you to interview them real fast and ask them two of the most deep philosophical questions ever. Here's the two questions. What's your favorite ice cream? And what is your favorite all time movie? And I know we have people on the podcast, so you can practice this yourself. It'll only be about 30 seconds. Have fun. Don't write the answers down, Okay. See if you can just get the information, and there'll be a small little quiz at the very end. Ready, set. I forgot what the second question was. Oh, that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) The two uh, deepest philosophical questions. What is your favorite ice cream? And what is your favorite all-time movie? And, you, and, and if you don't like movies, add a book in there. That's cool, too. We, we, we can accept that. Ready, set, go. Okay. All right. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do real quick. So here's what you got to do. You have to answer uh, questions one, what's the person's favorite ice cream? Question two, what's their favorite all-time movie? And do we think we got the answers to those? Think we're kind of good with those? All right. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Do not look at the other person that you talk to, okay? Some people go, no, I can't help, I've got to do it. Here's what I am going to ask you to do, don't look at them, okay? I want you to tell me what was the color of the person's eyes. Do you remember that when you were talking to them? Oh and do you remember the color of the shirt they were wearing? So you might have a little peripheral vision if they're wearing a red shirt. <laughs> so the reason why I do this is because there's two components to this. I'm gonna go over both of them today. One is just understanding the ways in which we communicate during conflict which is kind of the outside part, questions one and two. But the inner part, questions three or four, really have to relate to some of the deeper issues, why we communicate the way we do in conflict. Because see, what I'll give you a little psychology here. Our brains, when we go to a go-to in conflict, minds avoiding, running for the quickest hill I can run for in the world. Other persons could be conflict, you give it to me all day long, I'll take it. Come on, bring it on. And that becomes our fight or flight. Our blood flow goes in that fight or flight part of our brain where we naturally feel comfortable fighting or running away from it. So when I go over the four parts, it's gonna kind of cover questions one and two. But in the three or four, we're gonna talk about some of the biblical truths and what we're really running from. You know, what are the, some of the things that we try to avoid? When I do marriage and family counseling, I find out that there's a lot of vulnerabilities that go on. And really what's it, what down to the root of it is a simple thing. I don't want to be exposed. I'm afraid of being exposed. So I do something called imagotherapy, which is basically teaching a couple how to communicate when they're under conflict. It's just kind of I and we messages. But what I do at the very end, which is what we'll go over, which is huge, is how does it make you feel when they do something like that? If we simply communicate how we're feeling and what it does to us, all just kind of goes down and just kind of falls by the wayside all the things that we thought we were fighting about and protecting right and trying to posture over just fall by the wayside over this because once we allow ourselves to be exposed and say okay i'm afraid of this and when you do this it makes me feel like this all those kind of subside and i want to propose to you in a couple scriptures we'll go over that the power of god is mighty to do that in your life and it was mighty to do that in my life as well, and we'll share that a little bit. So here we go. Let's have some fun. So I'm going to give you the four different types of communicators during conflict. So I kind of divide this up into the get it done, the get appreciated, the get it right, and the get along. So I fall in the get along. I'm the, I'm the perpetual pleaser. That's kind of my M.O. So let's start with the uh, get appreciated. So we'll start with that. So a get appreciated communicator during conflict is something like this. They're the ones that can walk into a room and sell ice to an Eskimo. They're one of your charismatic individuals. They kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve. And not only do they think they're the life of the party, but they actually think they are the party. And the party doesn't ride till they walk in the door. They go like, okay, you can get going now. I'm here. It's time to have fun. woohoo!" But they have a lot of charisma to them, and they have a really good way of communicating emotionally to draw people in on a conversation. And that's something very positive, because conflict can be actually a positive thing. Because it gets issues out in the open and honesty can happen for the first time. So the emotions on the sleeve are a really, really good component of the uh, get appreciated. But what can happen with the get appreciated? What happens in that fight or flight part of our brain? Well, they call the get appreciated the grenade. If you say something that kind of disrespects them and they get a little bit offended and get a trigger, they immediately go after you and they respond in kind, and their voice elevates. And they're like, where did that come from? Where was that charismatic person who could sell ice to an Eskimo? They went bye-bye. So one of the things that can happen at times with this type of communicator is they can actually operate as a grenade and be very unpredictable, because they wear their emotions on their sleeve. Okay, let's get into the get it done, which is unfortunately my most unfavorite. But that's another story. So get it done. I also call the get-it-done kind of the shark. So to get-it-done, if I had to give you a great description of a get-it-done communicator during conflict, it's this. They're the ones that can brilliantly spin 50 plates at the same time. So they're kind of like this. You ever seen that little thing about the plate spinner? Keep it going, keep it going. They have as many things as they can get done from dawn to dusk. They're so efficient. They're master delegators. So when under conflict, they go into solution mode they kind of go into ultra control mode. Okay, you go do this, you go do this, you go do that, everything should be fine and everything is not fine and you just get over there and you need to solve it. So they're really efficient at being those master delegators and giving everybody a task to do at the end of the day, but here's the problem. When under conflict, a get it done wants to over control a situation. So I call the get it done communicator when they're under, under stress, I call them the take. They kind of bowl people over. So, they'll get cooperation, but unfortunately, they're going to use force as the cooperation mechanism. They're going to force people to do what they want to do and kind of conform to their will. So, there's good components to it, but again, there can be bad components too. when we're under duress, under stress. They can tend to overreact. Just like the get appreciated overreacts by being the grenade and getting upset really quick. They get it done, they overreact when under stress and in conflict by controlling people and bullying people over in the process. All right, number three, so it's all about the get it right. Here's the get it right communicator. One of my favorites and one of the hardest to actually get kind of on the same page because they're kind of in their own little uh, path. So they kind of operate in their own little sweet spot. So here's a get it right communicator. So when they're under conflict, basically what they'll do is they'll kind of tell you how something's not gonna work. They kind of withdraw and take a step back and they kind of go into their own cubby hole at times. So detachment is kind of a big sign you see from someone who's a get it right communicator so when they're under pressure and somebody is kind of coming at them and that voice is escalating what they're going to do is they're going to lower and they're going to go off they're going to kind of go for that hill to run to so the withdrawal they won't talk as much but let me tell you a good side of this when a get it right communicator is communicating normally they're really about facts logic and structure so they really want to communicate by having all the facts lined up, so they make decisions a little bit slower. But at the end of the day, a get it right communicator is the one I probably trust the most because they've done their homework, and if I wanted to go into a certain course of action or go down a certain path, I would kind of trust that person. The problem is that they are called the no people at times. So when they communicate and they overuse that, they kind of go into panic mode and say, well, this can't be done, so I'm gonna go, it's not gonna work, have a great day. So to kind of withdraw into that cubbyhole. All right, my last but not least, which actually what I want to go over, because do you know that 35 to 40% actually fall into the last one I'm going to give you? It kind of varies a little bit with research, and it's the one that I fall fallen trap into many, many, many times. It's been a good thing, but unfortunately it's worked against me as well, and I still struggle with it. I need God to help me every day with it. So here's the last one. It's the get-along, and I call them the teddy bears. They're the ones that go, oh, how you doing? It's so good to see you. Hey, can we all hold hands for a second and sing Kumbaya around the fire? I'd be really happy if we could do that. That'd be great. So they're the ones that are kind of the the pleasers. They're the ones that kind of uh, rally people around. They're kind of the glue the whole things together, which is really wonderful. But at the same time, let me share something which I think has so many implications, even in churches and organizations that I've found. Is that the pleasers I also call the snipers? So let's say, for example, Joey says something to me that really upsets me and bothers me. And then Joey asks me, Are you okay? I mean, you're not upset about that. And I'll look at Joey and go, No, everything's great. I think you're a great guy. I don't like Joey. I think you're wonderful. I think things are great. And I have no problem with anything. I got a big problem with Joey. So the problem with this is they call we call them the snipers. And let me give you a couple behaviors you might see a lot. Number one is gossip. So there would be a tendency in this communication style when under duress, they would tend to act out more and gossip. Also, another thing that would happen is they sometimes tend to operate a little more in sarcasm. So they might say something that maybe has the appearance of being funny, but not always very funny, maybe offensive to somebody, but they do it in kind of a roundabout way that's kind of coy, so it's a matter of really a protection. I don't want to be exposed, so I'll participate in different behaviors in order to kind of deflect it. Do you know that about 35% of the four, so it should be 25, 25, 25, 25, it's actually an uppers of 35% that kind of fall into this category that tend to be the ones that are maybe a little more afraid to express themselves when actually they've been hurt in in a big way. So, Any questions so far on that? I won't do a lot of questions, but any questions? And what I want to do is I want to go deeper into this, what I found. Good? Okay, cool. All right, so let's do this. What I want to do is I want to kind of tackle what are the systemic things that are happening in these four different communication styles. So I'm going to take all four of them, and here's what I found. Remember I was telling you that conflict and conflict, that honesty and openness is one of the great benefits of conflict? Let me ask you, what is the first thing that you think about when you think of conflict? What is something that comes to your mind? I know for me, I've seen it anger. Disagreement. Disagreement, yep, yep, which sometimes can be good. Distrust, which is opposite of where we want it to go. Conflict. Yeah. Anybody else? Just shut down. Shut down. We talk about the get it right. Sometimes shutting down. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't want to dis. I don't want to engage anymore. I- I'm done with this. Yeah. I had my three grandsons this weekend, and they're all big guys, they're bigger and taller than me. And conflict. Yep, yeah. Un- unfortunately, when a lot of people hear about conflict, the word conflict, there's a lot of fear that comes out because it's like I don't want to deal with this. You know, this is something that's a little more intimidating. I don't have the skills to actually deal with this, and that's a natural thing because we have such a negative connotation about conflict. We develop such a uh, kind of a falsehood, and I believe that really is a lie of the enemy. That enemy tries to stop us from being honest with each other and risking just for a brief period to be exposed. So let me share with you a different perspective on these four different styles that we have. So let's talk about the get it done. I think fear and insecurity is a big part of it. And there's a couple things that I really struggle with, especially uh, back even a, a couple decades ago. I don't want to age myself. I don't even want to tell you how old I am, because I've lost track, so I'm still 30. So anyways, number one is, let's take the get it done, for example. What, is, what, what could be the fear there? The fear is loss of control. That if this continues and I don't nip it in the bud and go tell something to do something, the fear is gonna be there, I'm gonna lose control of the situation. So I don't want to be exposed for for control, loss of control and that's where the fear comes from. Let's talk about the get appreciated kind of style. What's the fear there? I find the fear there is loss of respect. That I wanna be that life of the party I kind of want to be that uh, charismatic person for people. I'm, I'm supposed to be the good communicator during this. If conflict happens and I don't deal with it effectively, or I don't use anger maybe as one of my weapons to try to stifle it and put it down, that's a fear of loss of respect. Let's go to the get it right. What's the fear there? I have found that the fear there with the get it right is loss of control too, but also the fear of engagement if I engage in this conversation and I go through this conflict, this scary thing, which I'm going to have to engage in, what could happen to me? And what could happen is I've got all my facts lined up. I got all my ducks in a row. What if someone exposes me and actually says that I'm wrong? So it's a fear of being wrong that happens with that. And last but not least, which I think more people may fall into than not, and myself, the biggest struggle for me, just to share my conflict story with you, was the fear, mm, the fear of people not liking me. Oh, it's a, it's a big one, isn't it? Yeah, it is one of the biggest elephants in the room, especially with this communication style, is what happens if someone actually confronts me with conflict and I've got to deal with that? Could I say something? Could I not say something? Can I oversay something? Can I undersay something? that I could actually take the conversation where no one's gonna like me anymore. And y'all, that was my biggest struggle. And I was wondering why God, why would God put me in with 181 members who are never gonna be happy about anything anyways, if it was to teach me this simple little tool to understand, Steve, you can't please everybody. I am your God. Surrender to me, let me take control, and I'll take care of all the rest. Just saying that is liberating for me. When I heard that for the first time, and God's speaking to me in most wonderful way with that, I can't tell you the pressure that was taken off. Those 181 members just simply became people with their own issues. Which issues that I can't tackle, well, guess what? Me being the person I am, wanting to fix everything, sure enough, I become a mental health counselor after that because out of general curiosity and wanting to solve the world's problems here, So I won't tell you, it didn't completely happen the way I'm uh, painting it for you, but still learning that and understanding that God was in control of this and I wasn't in control of this was one of the most freeing things that ever happened to me in my entire life. So here's what I want to do. I want to share a couple scriptures with you real fast, and I'm going to circle back to how this all comes uh, full circle. But I really prayed about how to integrate this and with biblical scriptures, because My uh, career is teaching positive psychology. And in positive psychology, you're taught. I teach the class, which is wonderful. It's great self-help stuff. But we kind of have an existentialist mindset. And a lot of students at Full Sail do. They're kind of like, we have our own purpose. So don't tell me your absolute purpose behind everything, because I have my own. And it's based on my subjectivity and my point of view. And so what we teach, some of the concepts we teach, are more self-help techniques. And they're wonderful, I'm not not knocking what I do, but it's really good to kind of integrate the spirituality in there and find, you kind of feel like you're on the front lines a little bit because a lot of the people I talk to, they want nothing to do with spirituality. They want zilcho, nothing to do with spirituality. And for me in the beginning, when I first started doing it, it was a little disheartening. It was kind of a little bit, well, where do I go with this? But one of the neat things is in our counseling practice, we don't advertise as uh, Christian counselors but I found out that four of the six of us, getting to know them, four to the six are believers, which is really, really cool, but they want nothing to do with spirituality. So as I tell you this, and the conflict styles in which you went over, when I integrate the scriptures, I truly believe this is where the fundamental change is gonna happen. So we can handle change on a topical level, and I can teach you um, some techniques, which I'm gonna teach you at the very end, we're gonna kind of circle back on that, but let's talk about the deeper issues. These, these fear issues and the fear of being exposed because I find out so often when two people are kind of at each other's throats the real the real crux of the matter when we get go deep down inside is a fear of being exposed so guess what I'm going to do I'm going to go right back to the garden we're going to go all the way back to Genesis with us so what I want to do is I want to read this scripture out to you and, and God spoke such volumes to me uh, during the past two weeks with us because I really Did not know what I was going to do this morning, everybody. But God, in his awesomeness, started speaking to me and say, I want you to go here. So I'm going to read this. So this is Genesis chapter 3. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. And he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, Well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. And I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said this. This is really important because it ties into what I talked about. And he said, who told you you were naked? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit to treat, and I ate it. It wasn't my fault, okay? It was her. So I thought it was very interesting. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. It was the serpent. So think about this as it relates to conflict and how we fight right? We go to our fight or flight. We want to control, not to be exposed. We want to please so everybody likes me. We want to get appreciated, and when we're not, we fight aggressively. So we can see in the garden at this very moment that people are fighting for their own styles, right? This this is our human nature that happens is we fight, right, to deflect. But what was really going on here, it was a fear of being exposed, Because we we look at nakedness as exposure. We look back in Genesis to this. And so it kind of gives you an idea of what the true fear is, that I don't want to be exposed. And y'all, I can tell you so many times, uh, I've worked with couples, and I'll just simply say the word for the first time, because they've never uh, learned to actually communicate like this before. I'll say, when that person says and does something, how does that make you feel? Like. Makes me feel angry, and when you're angry, how does that make you feel? Afraid. I'm afraid. When you're afraid, how does that make you feel? And then just the tears will start pouring out. I feel like nothing, and a non this person. I feel unloved. And then when it all comes down to it, it all boils down, it was just simply fighting from a position of not feeling loved at the time. And I want to do any human thing I can do to kind of control the narrative and have it sent to be my way because that's a way of protection. So what this does, is it kind of exposes it. So I'm gonna read these three things out again. We talked about them earlier. Number one is passive aggressive behavior happens as a result of being exposed. So we start gossiping. Number two, sarcasm. I've seen that happen a lot. Sarcasm is a way of kind of subterfuge again, to kind of beat around the bush. So when we look at this and you compare it to the garden in Genesis chapter 3, these are all roundabout ways to kind of avoid what the true issue is and to be exposed. And that's what we do. We, we find our own unique ways to run and hide from a situation. So let me read you another one that really came into my heart when I like God was speaking to me. And it was this one. It was James four, uh, chapter 4, verses 1. And I'll read this out. And it says here, What causes fights and crawls among you? Don't they come for your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with raw motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So I believe God gave me this scripture for one reason. And again, it's how we fight that we're comfortable with. See, fighting, I'm not saying fighting is a bad thing because it was one of the things that got me into trouble in the first place is I didn't want to fight. But I try to teach couples and, and individuals is there is a way to fight clean. And the way you do that is allowing God to come into the situation and say, Lord, Expose me. What do I really feel in this situation? What is truly driving how I'm feeling? And why do I want to go to the next level and try to fight? What am I protecting? So one of the most basic things in this scripture is simply asking God. <laughs> I, I know sometimes it can seem scary, right? To actually that, and sometimes we can actually think, because if I actually ask God to do this, what if God doesn't answer me? What if God keeps the situa- situation the way it is? What if, what if, right? Because God sometimes can be, what are, it's our last resort. It's what we cry out in desperation. So here we go. Here's my ace of spades. I'm going to lay it on the table and say, God, can you help me with this? Can you do this? And so for some people, there's so much fear. If I give away my ace of spades, I've got no cards left, I've got nothing. And y'all, let me share something with you, very powerful. I came to the end of myself, y'all. I came to the end of myself in all this. I began to look at, as my, my addiction, I'm gonna go back to the Xanax real quick. Unfortunately, the Xanax didn't result in just a half a Xanax. It resulted in much worse. It became a full blown alcohol and drug addiction for me. And so when I circle back to six years ago, I'm gonna get real personal here. When I circle back to six years ago, the reason why Beth and David Barefoot actually invited me into this church is because they saw it was a mess. (laughs) I was down to 165 pounds, and I was trying to manage life. I was trying to manage family. I was trying to, again, spin all these wonderful plates, right? And I felt like it was my job to spin these plates wonderfully. And I didn't want anybody to know that I still had the plates going up, yet I was walking around, they were looking at me and saying, Steve, something's not right. Something's not right here. And unfortunately, it became an alcohol and Adderall addiction. I actually took uh, Adderall for a period of time for attention deficit. And thought it was the most wonderful thing in the world because it made me super husband. It made me super father. It made me super employee. maybe me super Christian, whatever I was trying to project myself as super. But when we find out, when we turn to those things, they can quickly turn on us. And like I shared with you before, it quickly turned on me. Very fast. And it got me to a point where I came into this church, and for the first time, I heard that I didn't have to do anything. What? What? You mean I don't have to be super Christian? You mean I don't have to be super dad? You mean I don't have to be like super employee Super tennis pro, whatever it might be, whatever. I can just be me. I can be exposed in front of God. I can allow God to enter the deepest reaches of my heart and say, I'm done. I quit. <laughs> I quit. I surrender. I'm done. I waved the light flag. I, I thought about actually writing a book and all this. I know we're not going into conflict anymore, but I, I wanted to write a book, and I had the, the, the title. I'm, I'm, I pretty much have chosen the title, I want the title to be, Waving the White Flag. That's it said, I'm done, I surrender. I can't do it anymore. So when I got to that place, when I got to the end of myself that I realized I didn't have to be this anymore. I didn't have to project this anymore. I didn't have to be this super person anymore. I could just be Steve Huber. And Steve Huber was great. Why was Steve Huber great? Not because of what he did. Steve Huber was great because of what God did for him. The sacrifice that was made for me. That he took my place. And when he truly said it is finished, he really meant so. He said it is finished. And so to me, when I share this with you, the most three powerful words that I've received in the last six years is it is finished. It is done. Do I still struggle with this? Heck yeah. (laughs) Am I perfect? No which is good. I'm glad I'm not. I am a reformed, imperfect person. <laughs> and I feel wonderful about it. It's truly good. I am want to start my own 12-step program. It um, would be, be wonderful to do it. So, But I share this with you, not to impress you that I've been through all this stuff, but to impress upon you that it's all about God. It's truly all about him at the end. And just to kind of circle back on this, um, one of the things that I do is I do some practical things. Can I share a couple of practical things with you that may help? Let, let's say you're struggling with conflict, um, and one of them I have you stand up doing, it, and I, I promise I won't take too much time. That I know you're everybody's got to get do what they're doing. So, but um, one of the things I do is actually I'm going to do two more after this. But I do some called Amago. Everybody, everybody heard of Amago? Amago therapy or Amago uh, communication? Oh wow, this is really cool. Okay i get to teach it for the first time here so what Amago is basically doing is it puts a communication in kind of a unique place so one of the things that we're most tempted to do when we're running to these four different communication styles they get it done to get it right get it appreciated and um get along is that when we fight we kind of fight with throwing things out in the air to distract people and what Amago does is it keeps the communication in an i am we format i am we messages so what i have them do is I actually have them communicate uh, when you did this blah 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 it made me feel this and what the other person has to do is they have to validate the other individual so they go okay so what you're saying is do is that all yes that is it is there anything else and then i have them speak again as a sender and again they validate as a receiver Here's what's cool about conflict. In conflict, you don't have to agree with the other person. In healthy conflict, you don't have to agree with the other person. You can 100% disagree with the other person, and that is fine because we all come from our different perspectives. Then we kind of mold ourselves into old patterns when we do that, when we over acquiesce. So you do not have to be in agreement. So what I do in this little uh, imago, if you ever wanna practice it with each other, is I have them reflect back what they were saying, the content of what they were saying. And then the receiver becomes the sender again, and they say, okay, I disagree with you, and here's why I disagree with you, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what you're saying is you disagree, blah, 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 is that all? The sender becomes the receiver. So I have them practice this back and forth. It, It does seem awkward in the very beginning, but it really evolves into something beautiful because for the first time, someone's being validated and not agreed with, but someone's being validated and acknowledged that, okay, you have this perspective. I'm acknowledging that you have the perspective. And as they go deeper into it, then the feelings start coming up. The exposure starts coming up because now for the first time, they see their feelings as a safe place to be because even if the person doesn't agree with me, I know they're going to validate me. So if you ever want to learn more about it, let me know. I, I, I love teaching it. It's really exciting to teach because I see really amazing things happen in the counseling session, and I see people really beginning to get to a point where honesty becomes really safe for the first time. And honesty can be very scary for a lot of people because it will, be, it will come back null and void, and no one wants to have that. So this creates that system. Okay, here's the other one. So, what I do is, I try to sell somebody on the idea that the ways you're currently handling conflict are going to really stress you out so much that you're going to have no more energy, you're going to be spent. So, I want to share a story with you real quick. So, imagine this wall, there's a zip line going from this end of the wall, I measure it at number zero. And the zip line goes all the way across, and this is number 100. So and guess what? This is cool. This is called the keg exercise, and it's about beer. So, woohoo! <laughs> so, anyways, but you don't, if you want to beerify it, you can waterify it. Whatever you want to do. So, what I do is I have you uh, have them put uh, uh, pony like little small kegs, uh, imagined kegs, up on a zip line, and I want to share a story with you, which I'm going to drive this point home when we're done. And it's this. So, I had um, a a boss that I worked for that I did not like at all. And I won't share his name with you, Jim. Um, <laughs> I'm driving from uh, down 408. And you know 408 can get pretty expensive with e-pass as you're driving down. So I, the office was in Metro West, and we're driving all the way down 408 and going back home on 417 to where I lived up in Winter Springs. It's almost three bucks. So anyways, he, he, he is, by the way, he was a get it done. So he wanted to control everything. He calls he says, Steve, I need you to come back to the office right now. I'm like, oh my gosh. I go, well, Jim, what's wrong? Did somebody, you know, did somebody, after one of my sessions, did somebody kind of have a meltdown? And what happened? He says, no, you didn't stack the chairs. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'm coming back to the office next morning. I'll I'll, I'll stack the chairs. Nobody, no, I need you to come back to the office. I'm not coming back to the office. You need to come back to the office. I'm not coming back. Yes, you are. No, I'm coming back. Yes, you are. I hung up on him. So I'm like, done with that person. So, I drive all the way back home. Do you think this conflict, do you think I've gotten over it? No, absolutely not. I got home, my wife goes, hi, honey, how are you? How was your day? I don't want to talk about it. I go into the other room, and I'm listening to ESPN. That was my way of coping with things. So when I had to talk about it, or, or I didn't want it to displease anybody, I went and self-medicated myself with ESPN in my own room. So here's where this keg exercise is powerful. And what happened in everything is I detached myself from my family for that whole afternoon almost into the evening. Because even though I watched ESPN for an hour, I still was not changed. It was still gnawing at me. So I'm going through this whole process. And can I be honest with you? My afternoon and evening were kind of shot because of how I was dealing with the conflict with this person. So here we go. Somebody gave me this really powerful technique So imagine the most important person in your life, okay? And I have them take a little pony keg, and I have them put up the number of important. So most people will tell you the most important person in my life is rated about a 90 to 100, they're high on the scale. I say, okay, go ahead, do me a favor, put that keg up there, so I have them leave it. Now I want you to take the second one, and I want this to represent the conflict situation. So in my situation, This was my dysfunctional relationship with my boss. So here's what you do, I want you to put that person up. Well, Jim is a human being, they were created by God, so I'm gonna give him something. So I put Jim as a 20, I hung him up there. So that was about all I could give Jim. Maybe a plus or or minus five. So Jim's up there. This was really powerful for me because it really gave me a complete paradigm shift. So what I did was, they had me do this next. Be honest, Steve. Tell me how much energy does this take out of your life when Jim did this? How much energy did it take from you? And now I want you to fill it up with whatever substance you want to fill it up with and tell me how much it really took out of you. And guys, I had to be honest. I had to take the honesty policy with this. 80%. It ruined my day. 80%. I want you to fill it up Okay, to 80%. And here's the hook, line, and sinker. I now want you to turn to the most important person in your life and tell me how much do you have left for that person? 20. Do you see something's out of balance here? Yes, I see something's out of balance here. So what I literally did is a kind of a cool technique. I'm going positive psychology. I apologize. <laughs> so, anyways, they actually had me take out that energy to kind of redo the situation, pull it out and go and put the energy back into the person who's most important to you. It really gave me a really cool perspective on how my energy is being expended and just how important it is for me to understand that God's got this. Because... God is that bucket that supplies the water in the first place. So without the Lord, I've got no water to give anywhere. He is the source of that water. So I draw the source from him. And then when I draw that source from him, God speaks to me and says, here's the best way, child, to distribute this. Here's what I want to help you with. And I think of that scripture, come let us reason, right? Come let us reason together. You know, God does it in such a wonderful way. In such a loving and just unconditionally loving way and says draw the bucket for me i'll give you all you need and more and then not only that you get a benefits package attached to it i'll show you the best way to distribute that where your life can be in balance as well which is really cool so thanks everybody thanks for letting me share the techniques can i uh, pray for you all can i pray okay heavenly father i thank you so much and Lord, thank you for the time that I could spend with everybody. Um, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to give back. I've received so much from this church. I've been sitting in the seats for so long and receiving wonderful preaching, and it has truly been life-changing to know that you truly do have this, God. No matter what style I have, no matter what I do, Lord God, you're the Lord over all of it, and you supply all of our needs. Lord, I pray for everybody here. Lord, I pray that what you have spoken I thank you that you speak to someone who is finite to communicate your infinite wisdom, Lord. I pray that that infinite wisdom will pour into all of us and will walk out of here truly different, Lord. I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.